and Krishna is speaking to us. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how many of you are convinced to fight at this point? How many of you, we are, we are Arjuna, we are, Krishna is speaking to us. So we've gone through 12 chapters. So how many of you at this point are convinced to fight? Raise your hand. Okay, we still have six more chapters to convince you. <laughs> Krishna speaking to you. So Prabhupada, um, in the beginning, one of the purports, I believe the first text of the 13th chapter, gives a really nice overview of what we've done so far. So he says, To understand both the soul and the super-soul as one, yet distinct, is knowledge. I'm sorry, that's not the section I wanted to read. So I'm just reading, I'm just doing a quick overview, and then we're going to go into sharing. So this is just a little overview of Prabhupada explains of, of what we've done so far in Bhagavad Gita. So, so in the first six chapters of Bhagavad Gita, the knower of the body, the living entity, and the position by which he can understand the Supreme Lord are described. In the middle six chapters of the Bhagavad Gita, the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the relationship between the individual soul and the super-soul in regard to devotional service are described. The superior position of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the subordinate position of the individual soul are definitely defined in these chapters. The living entities are subordinate under all circumstances, but in their forgetfulness they are suffering. When enlightened by pious activities, they approach the Supreme Lord in different capacities, as the distressed, those in want of money, the inquisitive, and those in search of knowledge. Um, that is also described. Now, starting with the 13th chapter, how the living entity comes into contact with material nature and how he is delivered by the Supreme Lord through the different methods of fruitive activities, cultivation of knowledge, and the discharge of devotional service are explained. Although the living entity is completely different from the material body, he somehow becomes related. This is also explained. And so if you remember going back to the beginning of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is describing, um, or I'm sorry, Sanjaya is describing to Jajrishtarashtra what's going on on the field. And the first lines of Bhagavad Gita are Dharma Chetra, Kabuksetra. And, and, and then, so Sanjaya, so he's saying, what, is my, what are my sons doing? What are the sons of Pandu doing? What's going on? I'm really interested. Because although he couldn't stop the, um, the effects of his evil son, Duryodhan, he was still ultimately accountable because he was the father of the, of the Kauravas. So he actually didn't want the fight to take place, but inevitably it had to take place because they had... They had um, gone against dharma, the will of the Lord. And so now Arjuna, he's taking the righteous side of the Pandavas. And, and he has chosen Krishna. He has chosen Krishna. And that, that, was, that was his, the best choice in life was to choose um, the Supreme Personality of Godhead to be on his, his side. And so from that point on, um, he was well situated. So they're situated on the battlefield, which is the, the, the field of activities. And now he is confused about his duty. But then he reaches a point where he stops speculating on Dharma because he has a spiritual master right in front of him. So there isn't any need anymore to, to speculate on should I fight or should I not fight. And he, and he becomes intelligent and he, and he surrenders to Krishna. He says, now I'm confused about my duty and I've lost all composure due to miserly weakness. In this condition, I'm asking you to tell me for certain what is best for me. Now I'm your disciple, and the soul surrendered unto you. Please instruct me. And so, now Krishna has been completely enlightening him about who the, who the soul is, who we are as individual souls. Uh, then he's expressing um, transcendental knowledge and the cultivation of knowledge and how that actually begins by, by accepting the spiritual master, as Arjuna has done. And he's explaining how the living entity can act um, through knowledge and devotional service, and, and understand the Supreme Lord to be um, to be the the recipient of all sacrifices and austerities, um, the controller of all planets and demigods, and the, and the supreme friend of all living entities. 
And then in the sixth chapter, he begins describing the processes of yoga and the processes of attaining him. And he culminates the sixth chapter in saying, the best process of linking up is your individual consciousness with the Supreme is devotional service. And then we begin chapter seven with knowledge of the Absolute. And Krishna begins to describe his position as God. As Srila Prabhupada is saying here, the position of, of God as superior to the living entities, clearly described all the way through um, chapter 11, where he shows the universal form. And then Arjuna is just, just in, in awe, like, wow, not only are you my friend and my guru, but you're the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Like, this is incredible. Please forgive me for all I've done <laughs> and, and, and love and just and friendship. <laughs> forgive me. Madness and in love. Please forgive me. So then chapter 12 is, is exclusively devoted to devotional service, and we just went over that, and we just had a beautiful class by Guru Dev um, about devotional service, and how, how Krishna clearly says the best, best path for a transcendentalist is devotional service. And then he shows the different qualities. He describes the qualities by which we become endeared to the Lord, and how these qualities awaken within us through this process, and therefore um, we're endeared to him. So now as we begin the 13th chapter, and I welcome Ghanakeli Mataji and Deborah Mataji for joining us. And Prabhu, please remind me your oh, name. Nichinanda Das. Nichinanda Das, okay. I can't forget that. That's <laughs> an important name. Um, so we're now, now welcome as we begin the 13th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. And Krishna is going to start <laughs> to describe the field. Again, we talked, we're, on, we're on the field, and so now we're starting to understand this field. What is this environment that we're in? Because a warrior to be successful has to know where am I? What is my strategic position? And how can I ultimately overcome the influence of this battle? Because we're all in this battle. We're all situated within this body, which is known as the field. So from this point, um, we'd like to open it up for anyone to share their discoveries. Um, how it works. Did you all understand how the... Anybody confused on how the process works? Yeah, so I, did, I sent you an email today and it was late, so I apologize. Um, basically, discovery means that on the top of the sheet, it's going to be specific reading, so it's going to say these particular verses. And so you, you read those verses, and then anything that jumps out to you that really... Um, knocks you over, or really speaks to you as you're reading it, um, you mark that down. So it can be the verse, or it can be part of the purport, or a verse and part of the purport. It's a little section. And then you give your own personal understanding based on what you've learned in Krishna consciousness and your realization of that particular section that stood out to you. And then um, the application is you take that and, and look within and we think about how we can apply it to our life personally, and then we just answer the questions the best we can. Who would like, anybody like to share? Huh? <laughs> um, yeah, this one was um, really, quote that I hit out of the air really hit home to me. Um, let me just read it here for a second. I can find it. But anyway, um, yeah, this is really obvious. It was easy to pick out but it was very hard for me to apply. But I'll do my best, as far as the application goes, because I'm directly in it. So anyway, it's from, um, it's part of the purport in 8 through 12, verses 8 through 12. It's about a few paragraphs down. Um, as for detachment from children, wife, and home, it is not meant that one should have no feeling for these. They are natural objects of affection. But when they are not favorable to spiritual progress, then one should not be attached to them. The best uh, process for making the home pleasant is Krishna consciousness. If one is in full Krishna consciousness, he can make his home very happy because this process of Krishna consciousness is very easy. One need only chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Accept the remnants of foodstuffs offered to Krishna, have some discussion on the books, like Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhavatam, and engage oneself in deity worship. These four things will make one happy. One should train the members of his family in this way. 
The family members can sit down morning and evening and chant together Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. If one can mold his family life in this way to develop Krishna consciousness, following these four principles, then there is no need to change from family life to renounced life. But if it is not congenial, not favorable for spiritual advancement, then family life should be abandoned. So my understanding of that was when material objects are not supportive nor complementary to spiritual growth, then one should be unattached to such objects and abandon them. Application of that um, is real challenging, it's no doubt. Um, I'm in that situation myself, so what I try to do every day is I keep chanting. Um, I always, everything that I eat at home, I always offer to Krishna first. I have deities at home. Um, and, and I also read from Bhagavad Gita and I read from Sri Bhagavatam every day. Um, and I try my best to, um, through my example, try to be an influence on the people around me. But I live with atheists, <laughs> you know. I live with also people that are not always supportive to, to my particular path. Um, but so I just do the best I can into applying that. And that's all we can all do. Um, and sometimes, you know, the family gets prashadam. I make sure they get prashadam a few times a week at least. <laughs> And that's good. Um, but, you know, when you're in that situation, you do what's possible. Um, it's not always favorable to that. One thing I always try to watch for in applying that, and if you're in that similar situation to apply, is to make sure that your spiritual progress is, is not either stagnant or digressing. There's moments in my own personal experience that that's happened. And so I fixed it right away by saying, no, this can't happen. So continue pushing on even in that environment. So it is possible to apply in that situation. But there may become a time when push comes to shove where that isn't possible anymore. And you need to abandon it if it, if it's, if it degrades your progress. So as Ed Prabhupada says in the purport. So that's how I apply that every day. And, and keep aware as much as I can and in helping to associate with devotees like yourselves that helps me too as well so that's how that's my application so because it's such a specific thing it's just like again like the war analogy you have your our particular generals and our generals are like our, our primary our diksha guru and our primary shiksha gurus so in that way when it when it comes to something that's sensitive as that topic, because um, as you were reading, there is duties involved in that field, and it can be um, extremely valuable, necessary when done in the right way. But at the same time, it can be detrimental. So, because it's such a sensitive area, definitely going to the generals, going higher in the ranks, and talking to um, our Diksha Guru if possible. Our Diksha Guru is the this is a situation. No, in updates too, we do like this is situation. You know. Because we have to fight, like you were saying, we can't we can't be dissuaded from the primary interest in our life, which is developing our love for Krishna. So we can't we can't give that up. Um, and it's really interesting because Krishna, I mean Arjuna, he's fighting against family members. He has his he has his the the teacher from his youth, Dronacharya, who they love they love Dronacharya. He's on the other side. Bhishma Dev, grandfather Bhishma Dev. He was there from the very beginning. He was beloved by all all the Pandavas. He sacrificed. He sacrificed for his father, Santanu, the very beginning of the whole dynasty, by saying that he would never marry, just for the sake of his father. So he's on the other side, but who's also on the side with Arjuna? His brothers. So he has family on his side too. <laughs> so it's not that he completely gave up family. But he, but he was directly in contact with Krishna, and Krishna was saying, you have to do your duty, you have to fight. You have to defeat the evil forces of, of Duryodhana. So, thank you so much. Yeah. I'd like to share next.
I have a comment. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Um, no, that phrase was the one that stood out the most in my mind, too, but for a different reason. Because there's such a mood of renunciation in Krishna consciousness. And some temples emphasize it more than others. It's not so emphasized here. Um, that you have to go. Is it the Vanaprastha, the last one where you leave the family? Yeah. What is it? Sanyasa. The, the last one. Uh, and that that's a stage, and that you're supposed to go from, you know, Brahasta to, you know, Sanyasa. And, and that was the steps. But this verse is sort of contradicting that and saying family life is okay and it can be very fruitful in Krishna consciousness to have participate in family life where everyone's participating and loving Krishna and doing the processes of hearing, chanting, remembering, all that. That's interesting, you know, that was startling to me to hear that. Nicely startling. And there's like a synthesis that has to be balanced. So it's, it's not that, I mean, Krishna's saying one of the items is knowledge is detachment from family, society, and the rest. But at the same time, um, we're seeing through the teachings of Lord Chaitanya and, and through the Acharyas and, and just in the Vedic culture, Grihasta Ashram is extremely valuable for advancement in spiritual life. And Lord Chaitanya would instruct, most of Lord Chaitanya's um, disciples were Grihastas. And sometimes um, somebody would request Lord Jaitanya, can I just come with you? <laughs> See the sannyasi. Can I just give it my family? I said, no. You stay and you practice Krishna consciousness. You help your family to be Krishna conscious and you spread Krishna consciousness. You make your whole community Krishna conscious. You stay in your ashram. So when he's talking about detachment, he's talking about from materialistic, just like Arjuna had to give up the core of us. He had to give them up because they were a block to to pleasing Krishna. Krishna wanted the the righteous Pandavas to be in control. And so they were they were in the way of Dharma. And that's one of the reasons that Krishna comes. He comes to reestablish those principles. So yeah, I really appreciate you you sharing that because <coughs> and Prabhupada explains that renunciation really means giving up activities based on sense gratification. So whatever ashram um, there, there's people that they're spiritualists because they want um, distinction and adoration. There's many um, renunciates who, who are renunciates for the sake of getting mystic, mystic powers. Well, they're having, attached to their renunciation. Right. So instead of being attached to Dharma, yeah. to Krishna consciousness, they're attached yeah. to fame as a great spiritualist. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, an oxymoron, yeah. isn't it? Plus, yeah. you're missing the age different. And when I hear this, I hear, you know, family life is like wonderful. If it's Krishna conscious, I'm thinking of young families, families that are growing. But you didn't. It's like the, it's vanaprastha, not just sannyas. Like when a man reaches 50 or a certain age and he's done raising his family, then he he can go off and tend to his own spiritual nature. And sometimes, I'm just saying this, sometimes by staying, it's very enabling, you know, and it takes, like, you're again, you're on that battlefield, because it takes absolute courage to leave, right? I mean, it's just, it breaks your heart. There's um, retribution from who you're leaving behind. There's, there's guilt. There's just so much of purification that you have to go to until you reach a renounced stage where it doesn't matter to you anymore, because your action of doing the dharma of the right thing makes everybody then respond in turn and be responsible for their own being. And it takes courage and guts and that's about people. Yeah, yeah nice. And Prabhupada, he, he was trying to convince his wife to preach with him. <laughs> it wasn't like Prabhupada just said, okay, now I've reached a particular age and I'm giving up my way. Like he was trying, like, continuously trying, and she was just rejecting. And so at a certain point, he had to follow the principle given by Rupa Goswami that we have to accept what's favorable for our Krishna consciousness. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, he said, I have to. I'm sure that, you know, Prabhupada was a human being in so many ways. That's heartbreaking to see your, leave your family behind. Well, he's a soft-hearted person, and he wanted the best for his, yeah. for his family. But when you Absolutely. have to leave, you have to leave. Right, it has to be done. It's like Arjuna didn't want. You remember Arjuna was shivering, he was shaky. 
He was crying. <laughs> so, I don't want to do this. But ultimately, he attained liberation. He attained Krishna through surrendering to, to fighting. So, okay. Who would like to share next? I had a little thing that I wrote down. Uh, actually, you already covered that. I was looking at the <laughs> thing about uh, where Prabhupada was uh, describing about the first six chapters where. Um, Bhagavad Gita, uh, the, in the first six chapters of Bhagavad Gita, the knower of the body, the living entity and the position by which he can understand the Supreme Lord are described. So it's like I, I did like how in the first six chapters, uh, um, yeah, let me read it. In the middle six chapters uh, you know, of the Bhagavad Gita, the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the relationship between the individual soul and the super soul in regard to devotional service are described. The superior position of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the subordinate position of the individual soul are definitely defined in these chapters. The living entities are subordinate under all circumstances, but in their forgetfulness they are suffering. When enlightened by pious activities, they approach the Supreme Lord in different capacities as the distressed, those in want of money, the inquisitive, and in those in search of knowledge. That is also described. Now, starting with the 13th chapter, how the living entity comes into contact with material nature and how he is delivered by the Supreme Lord through the different methods of fruitive activities, cultivation of knowledge, and the discharge of devotional service are explained. Although the living entity is completely different from the material body, he somehow becomes related. This is also this also is explained. So basically, like how we have the first six chapters, uh, um, how uh, Prabhupada describes about the soul and how he's related with the Supreme um, uh, the first six chapters and the position by which he can understand the Supreme Lord. So basically, in what position we can understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead is given in the first six chapters, like how we have karma, uh, all different kinds of karma are described, right? And then in the middle six chapters, um, we have the soul and super soul. Uh, what is the relationship between them is described. But the relationship can be through, understood through the devotional service. So when I was reading this, then the first thing I got into my mind was like the birds, two birds on a tree. That example where one bird is always wandering and the other bird is sitting and watching the other bird to see if it can turn to him. So the, the happiness can come only from within where... The happiness from outside is just like we are licking from the bottle of the honey from outside. So that's the one thing that the middle six chapters when I was listening to all the lectures, I realized the middle six chapters is where the gem is stored in the jewelry box. So those are the main things that we kind of understood from this middle six chapters. And now again, like because we all fall under... Um, this body obviously because we've been thinking all along before we even knew about the Bhagavad Gita we were thinking we are the body right like we never thought we are the soul and now how are we related now that even though we are the soul but still the karma acts on us because we are in this body so the last six chapters how how it describes about the fruitive activities cultivation of knowledge and discharge of devotional service I'm being a I'm being in the material life right now. I feel like I'm in all the three kinds, like different methods of fruitive activities I'm doing. And I'm also cultivation of knowledge in, in, in the group of the devotees here. And also the discharge of devotional service where I try to do the prayers every day to Krishna. So these are all explained. So these other uh, last 
six chapters gives a clear understanding of what we are what the body how to understand the body how to understand the mind and all this but ultimately my application is to the goal is to have the relationship between the soul and super soul with the devotional service and not to get affected with the external happiness or distress just to be stable in all the circumstances and just find the happiness within that is my goal from this and you remember Krishna has said those who can do that are very dear to him mm-hmm. <laughs> so by, by practicing that you become dear to him um, also you know there's a beautiful, beautiful verse from the Bhagavatam that if we can patiently suffer the results of our past misdeeds um, then we become eligible for liberation if we patiently suffer the reactions, we don't blame God, and we accept actually as His mercy, and we persevere in Krishna consciousness, we become eligible for liberation. That's a powerful statement. So that we become very endeared to the Lord, and the Lord sees our perseverance. He sees our um, trust in Him. He sees like, wow, this living entity is, is there, this, my devotee is passing the, the tests of how I am actually facilitating a situation I wish they can give up their attachments to the material energy. But you working um, for fruits um, is actually not like a regular fruitive worker because Prabhupada said that taking care of children is more important than deity worship. That you have children and you are providing for your children, Krishna conscious home, so you are actually directly serving Krishna through your work. So I wouldn't think of that as a regular fruit of work because you're offering the fruits to Krishna. So yeah, thank you. Okay. I wanted to um, ask about something. The verse you read is actually the same verse that you read where, where Prabhupada says, um, enlightened by... Uh, what was the exact words? Enlightened by um, pious activity, I believe. That that people see Krishna in, uh, for four different reasons. Right. So I, mm-hmm. I just because uh, Prabhupada didn't really elaborate there about what he means by um, being enlightened by pious activity. I'm just kind of speculating in my mind that maybe you could shed some light on it. I thought maybe he means um, that they get more in the mode of goodness from this pious activity, so they're more likely to uh, inquire about Krishna or be interested in Krishna. Mm. Do you have any ideas about what it means by that? Well, he says here, let me read it one more time. When enlightened by pious activities, they approach the Supreme Lord in different capacities, as the distressed, those in want of money, the inquisitive, and those in search of knowledge. So, enlightened uh, would mean... Like, like you said, like the mode of goodness yeah. is, is, is an enlight, it's an enlightened place um, because the way that I look at it is like the example, if you're in a cave, uh-huh. if the rains are coming, you can't, you can't accept the rains because you, you're, you're <laughs> so covered by the modes of passion and ignorance oh, okay, yeah. that you can't be receptive to those rains. But if you come out into the light, the rains may or may not come. And that's the Lord's causeless mercy. Like, right, like we're we're just we're in a state of receptivity, okay. but we because we are on the platform of goodness, and we we avail ourselves to that mercy. So I think he he's saying that it takes pious credit, generally, to be able to seek out the Lord, okay. in one of these different ways. Do you have anything you want to? Well, the only add? other the other other possible thing I could think of what he's referring to is if somebody either in this life or in past lives, have, have come in contact with things related to Krishna. I'm thinking maybe that's what he's referring to, but I'm not really sure. Yeah. The good karma, you mean? The good karma. Well, you know, things related to Krishna. Maybe maybe in his last life, yeah. he uh, was, you know, he saw the devotees coming by doing Harina. Or maybe, yeah. maybe he um, helped the devotee in some way. You know, so many different ways, but I'm just thinking maybe, maybe that's what he's referring to. But I, I, like I say, I'm not really sure because he doesn't really elaborate what he means. Well, of those four things, um, Krishna explains that those who, who come to me in knowledge, they're they're the best. 
And so, yeah, I mean, you're definitely right, because when we come in contact with devotional service, then we, we actually come under a completely different um, energetic exchange with the Lord. Yeah. So it's not like, it's not just like a pious karmic exchange. Right. It becomes actually like a transcendental exchange. Like he says, that nothing's lost. So like, right. you know, some of the great devotees, they say, you know, I was probably like an ant or some insect in the house of a great devotee. And I got the remnant of their food. Right, 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 yeah. And that's why now I have the opportunity to take to Krishna consciousness. Because ultimately, like, piety, you can have the, the highest limits of piety. It doesn't necessarily mean you have any devotional service. Right. But if you get a little devotional service, that mercy allows you to have more devotional service. Because, like, if you're in the mode of goodness, you could have a lot of pride also. And, and you know, not not be um, subserv not having a subservient feeling towards God if you're feeling proud, you know. Yeah. Right. Like you know, the devas. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. It's like yeah. you were like you're referring to like in like in previous lives we must have encountered encountered some something that led up to that point of yeah. being in this life, coming and approaching Krishna yeah. in those four different ways. So I see that like it could like things could lead up in previous lives. It could lead up to that point where you're in this life to approach Krishna. Like Krishna says we don't lose any any advancement we make. Yeah, exactly. So he, he, he preserves says he yeah. preserves our advancements. Yeah, it stays with us yeah. eternally. So maybe that maybe those pious little 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 like percentages. Yeah. And if we degrade that's our that's our own undoing. Yeah. Right? Exactly. If we decide to take shelter of the lower modes of nature. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we need the mercy of the, the devotee to be pulled out. Like uh, Gurudev was saying, like, um, when you surrender, like when you're, you, you know, they say it's very rare to surrender to Krishna completely. Give yourself to Krishna, your life. And he's saying, these souls that have, that have done that, they have, like, perfected every state, every other uh, in previous life, they have perfected every other, uh, uh, every other yoga system, holy yoga system, mm -hmm. to even get to bhakti. Right, they've so, under all austerities. Exactly. Bathe in every holy place. <laughs> yeah, just to get to right. to Krishna. Very fortunate. Yeah. Would you like to share one? Okay. You have something to share. <coughs> well, I was just. This chapter is very powerful. There's a lot of information being shared by Krishna. Like, um, I took from, oh yeah, so there's a lot. I, I try to pick one thing, but I, I was trying to, I was bouncing around to different things. Okay, so Krishna starts off in the third verse. He goes, oh, son of Bharata, you should understand that I am also the knower in all bodies, and to understand this body and its knower, it's called knowledge. So let's just keep that knowledge. It's to know, it's to know that Krishna is the knower of all bodies. This okay. So, and then it breaks it down in the fourth. Uh, uh, in the purport, Prabhupada says, "The Lord is describing the field of activities and the knower of the field of activities in." their constitutional positions. One has to know how this body is constituted, the materials which this body is made, under whose body this this body is working, how the bodies are taking place, where from the changes are coming, and what the causes are, what the reasons are, and what the ultimate goal of the individual soul is, and what the actual form of the individual soul. One should also know the distinction between the, the individual living soul, the super soul, and different influences and their potentials. And so with this knowledge, Krishna is revealing to us. So he's giving us in detail the knowledge of the field of activity. So the body, both subtle and gross, that we experience and knowledge. So knowledge of ourselves. And so uh, in this one, Okay, so when, so it's all about understanding this knowledge, understanding um, what is being given to us in um, 
and actually realizing that knowledge. So, and this verse, sorry, I'm all over the place, but in the 812, the first paragraph, this process of knowledge is sometimes misunderstood by less intelligent men as being the interaction of the field of activity. But actually, this is the real process of knowledge. If one accepts this process, then the possibility of approaching the absolute truth exists. And this is not the interaction of the 24 elements as described before. This is actually the means to get out of the entanglement of those elements. So by understanding what's happening and what we're experiencing, we can be released, released from the clutches of this material existence and thus be unentang uh, unentangled from those elements of the, of the body. That and then the embodied soul is entrapped by the body, which is casing made of the 24 elements. And the process of knowledge, as described here, is a means to get out of it. So we have to understand this. We have to realize it's, this is the whole process of realizing ourselves is to understand it, why things are happening. Because, you know, when we're, we're given this absolute knowledge from Krishna, he's, you know, in previous... I don't know, I forgot what chapter, but he's saying, he's, he's shining the lamp of knowledge, you know, because when we're, before we come to Krishna, or before we come in contact with devotees, or any of these scriptures, we're like in, um, we're kind of in this, like a ignorant state, we don't know nothing, and we may experience emotions, and everything, but it's hard to, to really, <clears throat> It's, really, it's hard to understand why we experience it, and it could be really confusing, and and it can bewilder us, the living entity can bewilder all of us, and I think we've all experienced that to some degree, where before we came, there was there was a lot of confusion, there was, we didn't know why things, we didn't know why we were suffering, you know, so before we come in contact, it's we're like in darkness, and Krishna is then, you know, in these scriptures, he's revealing himself and he's lightening up, you know, the in our he's lighting up that awareness of ourselves within our hearts, and so and he and detail too, an intricate detail, and so by understanding it, that's the only way why we by which we can get out of it, you know, by understanding it, and then, you know, the process is given to us to understand to even understand that knowledge. And it only can be um, realized through that relationship with Krishna. And so he talks about devotional service. Um, he talks about devotional service and how we can approach him. So Krishna is giving us the way to approach him, the way to acquire knowledge, the way to understand our reality. He's giving us everything that we need. So I'm realizing more and more, though, even my experience, like, like, you know, because, you know, we we think we're so big, but we're so small, you know, really nothing, you know what I mean? And I'm realizing how little I am, you know, in comparison to everything else, because, you know, so to surrender to Krishna uh, is the most beautiful, that's the perfection of life, because, you know, he talks about, uh, what is it? He talks about, you know, like, you know, Gurudev gives that analogy of the painting and the painter. And the painting is symbolized of, like, um, the material existence, like the painting. Uh, uh, and then the painter is Krishna. Krishna's painting, you know, he's painting this beautiful, you know, creation. And um, he's, uh, yeah, so he's, crea he's creating this and he's creating us. Well, he's not creating us, we already exist, we're expanding from him. And so, so in this way, <clears throat> you know, because we can look at the painting in, in a relative, in a relative, through a relative perspective, through a subjective perspective, we can, we can speculate about the painting for lifetimes, you know, we can, but, and Krishna leaves it open for speculation, you know, it's not, you know, just like with an artist, they leave it open for somebody to interpret it in their way, own way. But there is something behind that. There is a reason why the painter created that, 
You know, there's a reason why they created that piece of work. You know what I mean? So there's always that intention. There, there's something, you know, there's that, 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 that behind, there's always that behind it. And so by approaching Krishna, we can understand the inner workings of everything around us because he's giving to us through that relationship. When we inquire from Krishna, he's giving, hey, like, this is what this painting means. This is what it means. And that's absolute. So we can see things in a, through a relative perspective. We can see things through and filter it through all of our own experiences, you know, all of these samskaras, these impressions that have been made on the mind, or we can see things for just the way that they are. And Krishna's giving us that. So <clears throat> Krishna's, you know, he's, he's telling us all this. And then he's saying, like, all of this, like he describes in the 8 to 12 ch- verse, he's saying humility, humility pridelessness, nonviolence, tolerance, simplicity, approaching the bona fide spiritual master, cleanliness, Steadiness, self-control, renunciation of the objects of sense gratification, absence of the false ego, the perception of the evil of birth, death, old age, and detachment, freedom from entanglement with children, wife, home, and rest, even mindlessness and pleasant and unpleasant events, constant and an unalloyed devotion to me, aspiring to live in a solitary place, detachment from the general mass of people, accepting the importance of self-realization and philosophical search for the absolute truth. All these I declare to be knowledge, and besides this, whatever... So this is all a byproduct. This is all. This is all. This all comes after we approaching Krishna. All of these. All these beautiful qualities. You know what I mean. So like, it's everything that. So we're of the same quality of Krishna. So I always think we're of the same quality quality of Krishna, and so why? That's why, such like you could see it in devotees. You could see it in devotees all the time. These beautiful qualities are like manifesting in them, and you could see it, and it's just like, it's just like, it captivates you. Like it's so beautiful because those are the qualities of Krishna. You know what I mean? So like you're, of course, you're attracting. He's all attractive. Krishna I means all attractive. So everything that we find attraction are little glimpses of his beauty. You know what I mean? So I I think of this, and I'm like, go. Oh, that's 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 amazing, and. Um, and just so, so this is this is it. And I'm thinking, you know, he's, you know, we are the knower of this particular field of activities. We're the knower of this body, you know what I mean? But he's the supreme knower. So he's in, he's in, he knows every field of activity in every body, you know. And, and the body is given to us depending on our our capacity to lord over material nature. They say. The capacity of order material, so we're given different bodies. That's why you see a variety of different uh, souls embodied in different, you know, like birds or whatever. Depending on our karma, our field of activities, this is what we get in the result of that. So, in this particular body, as humans, is really special. And um, I was thinking, um, so I and and application. I was thinking like. I was like, I, I, I questioned this. I said, where is it? How, how can we relate? How can we relate this knowledge of ourself that we're, we're getting of ourselves to others? How can we, you know, ourselves by realizing this knowledge ourselves, how can we relate that to others even when in, in relation to our preaching? You know what I mean? Like when we go out there and we're giving people because we have to not, and Krishna's giving the awareness, like on a subtle level, like he gives us like kind of like a way, to, like a little intuition, like a, that feeling of to like how to approach them, how, what do they need? So he's giving us kind of like, uh, ex, like an expansion outside of ourselves to see the other person. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know you experience, I know we all, if people will distribute, they experience that. It's like, it's like you're experiencing, it's like you can kind of, you see them and you could see them, you could see through them, even all the facade, even all of the, everything that they're, you know, trying to be, you could see through it. And Krishna's giving us that vision, the, the eyes to see that, you know what I mean? So even to, and all of these, I'm sorry, I'm going on, but all these psychedelics experiences, you know, this girl told me, she shared with me this psychedelic experience. 
she said, she said all these psychedelic experiences, they, they, these experiences, like they give you a, a like in the moment you're experiencing something outside of yourself outside of your own body, outside of you just being, and you can feel everything around you. You can experience everything around you. And some people have these trippy psychedelic, far out psychedelic experiences where they're experience, they're like living in another body and they can experience it. So it's just like, when we come back, we can experience that in our sober, you know, without any substances. And Krishna's giving us that. He's giving us a way to feel, to understand others, not only ourselves in our own field of activities, but other field of activities, other bodies. You know what I mean? So you have so, all the body experience? No, not me in particular, but like other people have shared with me oh, okay. their experience. Just give an example of yeah. somebody else who's taking. Yeah, so yeah. like they're they're experiencing outside. There's this girl exp- expressed to me, she's like, I experienced, like, you know, because you're, when you're thinking that you're this body, you're thinking that it's just you, it can be really self centered. But like these these psych these substances these psychoactive substances, they got to they get to experience something outside of themselves, because you know you're so limited when you're thinking oh this is just me, you know I'm this I'm that I'm this you know and and you forget everybody else around you, even when it comes to like, even when it comes to our ex- negative experiences, right? We're we're victimizing ourselves. We're thinking oh like. This happened to me. Why are these people like they're the they're the reason why this has happened to me? But to understand them, that's where that that unconditional love takes place. That's where forgiveness takes place. Because you're not only seeing things through just you, but you're seeing them too. Why could why why did they why did they do what they did? You know? It's like even when it comes to forgiveness, anything in life, you know, like it's like so Krishna is giving us this, like, Krishna is giving us this, like, he's like, okay, I'm going to give you not aware, not only awareness of yourself, but awareness of others. I'm not sure you that's know? true. I think I beg to differ with that. Why? Because you can only be responsible for yourself. Of course, you can be responsible for yourself, but you can under, you can feel into another person's experience, too. You can feel. You can't be responsible for it. You can't really know easily. Um, and psychoactive materials are really not part of the path. I, I don't think you're. Delusional. I don't think you're. I don't think you were hearing me. Because um, what I'm saying is that it's not like you can, and like you, this is just this is just these 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 psychoactive substances, like they can be used as an instrument. Sometimes, in some particular individuals' cases, they can use be used as an instrument to look outside of themselves. It's not like you're gonna you're gonna always, and like some in elevated states, you know, you, like and some people that are very exalted, these pure devotees, they can feel another person. Like Prabhupada, bro, like he was like if you if you um, if you just listen into all of these these what these devotees experience with Prabhupada. He was on another level. Like he, like re- they would say that he would read their minds. Like so, when you get to that c- certain point, it's like, it's like you could, you can understand. Like you know, I don't know if I'm making this clear. Yeah, you know what I mean? So first of all, like when you yeah. when you read the different items of knowledge, yeah, and you said this is it, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, you know, this is, but one thing like this, I, I, it's an it's an analogy. Like sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes we use an analogy. It's like, um, like sometimes we'll even relate things in this world. Like um, the Acharyas say, like when when somebody has a paramour, Rupa Goswami says it. In other words, they they have they're thinking about someone other than their spouse, and they're so they're working around the house, but they're actually thinking about that person. He relates that extremely perverted, um, perverted experience in this world. With how a devotee is with Krishna, a, yeah, a devotee so might be going around yeah. with their activities. It was like an extreme, like that's. It's an example of what you're saying is. Yeah. It's an example of when we. It's like a perverted example. Yeah. In the same way of how when we when we experience um, Krishna's mercy through devotional service, yeah. we can begin to see um, to to have these objects of knowledge yes, yes. arise in our life, exactly. and we can begin seeing exactly seeing others as part and parcel of God. Mm-hmm. And, and experience in the souls. And we had that experience. We were actually talking the other day because we had people come to Krishna Cove or the temple 
and we have a, actually a Krishna conscious experience with them. And it's like, all of a sudden we bond on this spiritual platform. Yeah. There's brand new people. But because they haven't reached a point where they can take the process seriously, then they might leave. They leave. Eventually they'll come back. But us as devotees, we become attached to them. <laughs> like immediately we become attached to them because we have this experience with them as souls. Yeah. Even though they haven't actually fully realized that. And then they go away, so our heart kind of breaks. Like, wow, man, now, I wish they would come back and experience Krishna consciousness more with us. Because they're ultimately in that state of Krishna consciousness, they've become situated on the transcendental platform, even though they don't know it. They're chanting Hare Krishna, they're hearing Krishna Kata, they're taking prasadam, they're engaging with devotees. And so, yeah, we start to to see people that way, like we see through all the nonsense, like yeah. it's, all that other stuff becomes superfluous, as Prabhupada would say. So, okay, we're running a little short on times. You have something? I would just add to that that if, if, we, if we are given that ability, it's not so that we can, and I don't think anyone's saying this, but it's not so that we can feel like we're in a position of, of, of superiority or in a way of judging them, but in a way of showing compassion. I think if, that, if we have that ability, or if we can develop that ability, it's more so to be able to show compassion at a higher level. And to be able to pull, as I like to say, the gold, the gold out from within each person. Um, at least for me in my experience, um, because I understand the intricacies of this material world and what's going on and how people are suffering because of this knowledge that I've been given, I can utilize that in a way to help me in my preaching to reach people. And, and to give people love and compassion. So um, I just wanted to add that. I think that's really important. Go ahead. You want to, you want to share your... Oh, I, we're like out of time. So I guess what I'll just... Share, I'll just do... Um, okay, so I was just going to say that I really like these items of knowledge because in the purport, Prabhupada says that we can actually measure our spiritual advancement. So he says, as for actual advancement, spiritual science, one should have a test to see how far he is progressing. I think that's really nice. Um, he says he can judge by these items that are listed here. So, I mean, when I'm reading these items, I'm like, nope, 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 nope. So I haven't, I haven't advanced very far. So, you know, but, but this is really nice, you know, because I know that Krishna is helping if we're sincere. Um, and one other thing that I wanted to, kind of bring up that I thought was interesting. The Prabhupada says, unless we have a pessimistic view of this material life, considering the distresses of birth, death, old age, and disease, there's no impetus for our making advancement in spiritual life. Amen. I thought that's really interesting. That's really interesting. It could be taken many ways. I can see how someone can take that in a negative way. I think we understand what that means ultimately because we see through the, uh, through the smoke screens of Maya. Um, but someone might not be able to understand that and take it the wrong way. But I think it's absolutely powerful. Um, and I think that you can literally see how there are people that are still trying to enjoy the world. And essentially, as long as they're still holding on to this idea that I can enjoy, that this is a place of enjoyment, then they're really not going to make any advancement. So I think Prabhupada is spot on with that. And I thought that really stood out for me. I thought that was beautiful. So, um, yeah. Sometimes, we always hear that example, when you shut the fan off, the fan's still spinning. Right? Yeah, it's still awesome. spinning. So a devotee feels like they might have some tendencies, material tendencies, but they feel like, I have no faith in this material world. Like, this material world can never make me happy. Mm. And this attachment that I have, I'm just, like, begging this fan to stop mm. turning. Like, please, <laughs> stop already. And, and, and I, that was um, really nice how you, you expressed <clears throat> Like, I don't feel like I've developed these things, but in a very humble way, which is, is a nice mood, is pleasing to Krishna, but at the same time realizing that that is intrinsic to us as souls, and through practicing Krishna, and, and Prabhupada pulls out that devotional service as the essence, right. that these qualities, they will come up within us. 
right. it will become such in another like Chaitanya Lila was saying we 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 take we take on the qualities yes. of transcendence the qualities that Krishna has yeah and that's that's all that's all attractive so the devotees become all attractive just like Krishna exactly because I was just going to say that that line right there in the purple it says but if one takes the devotional service in full Krishna consciousness then these other nineteen items automatically develop within him so I thought that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So it's this process of Krishna consciousness where we can begin to develop these these beautiful items of knowledge. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Please. Yeah. So I want. Pardon me. Did you bring something to share? No, I'm good. Okay. So I was watching a video earlier, so I can correlate with that uh, text eight to twelve, in which we are talking about all the items and qualities of the actual knowledge here, yeah, what Sri Krishna is telling us. So one time I was watching video of Radhanath Swami, Holiness Radhanath Swami. He was telling about the teachings of Lord Chaitanya mm -hmm. that we should aspire to become as humble as a blade of grass and more tolerant than a tree. And these qualities I can see that is mentioned here in, uh, I mean in the text 8 to 12. And I think that is... And the first item is humility, yeah. <laughs> and it means that one should not be anxious to have the satisfaction of being honored by others. And I think in this material world, we are always craving for this thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That we should be honored wherever we go or whatever we do. So I think as we dig deeper into the Krishna consciousness, I think these qualities will slowly, slowly inculcate. And then, like I think like Prabhu said that, we have to have like Krishna consciousness, then automatically these qualities will be starting to develop within us. So I mm -hmm. think that is a this is uh, this is not only knowledge. I think this is super knowledge. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. well, it's kind of like we were describing. We started going up in the ranks, going to the general. Mm -hmm. That takes humility, actually, because generally we want to see that we we are in charge of our life. We are the generals of our. We're the captains of our own ship. Like that, but what was Arjuna's qualification? He says, I'm confused. I don't know anything. Please instruct me. And for a devotee, that doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It's not like at a certain point we say, Guru, please instruct me. And then we say, okay, now I'm on my own. Now I'm, now I'm the captain of my own ship. No, it's not like that. It's like we're continuously subordinate to our Guru. And, like, and that, that's the process of making advancement. The first phase is humility. And with that humility comes surrender to Guru. Take initiation. Take Diksha initiation. Take shelter of Guru. Chant, take up the instruction of Guru. Chant 16 rounds. And, and by surrendering to the instruction, we, uh, we can be transported to the spiritual world. So yeah, thank you so much. That was nice. Yeah, I actually heard a beautiful lecture by Radha Swami yesterday. He was in Pune, India. Oh, okay. And I was... Um, he say such simple things, but because of his realization and his love, it was so enlightening and so wonderful. Yeah, you know that this and if we read his book, Journey Home, so there he talks about he met all those yogis in India who had such kind of supernatural powers. But then he was saying that Bhakti Yoga, that is I think the best part and all that. He has described in uh, the book, Journey Home, very beautifully. Mm. How he hitchhiked from the United States to India and then, yeah. That's yeah. very nice. I can't wait to read that. <laughs> That's a good book. Okay. I feel like if Radhanath Swami would say anything in the world, like it could be anything yeah. <laughs> secular, it would just be like, I couldn't. Because <laughs> he just has this sweetness about him and the way he just speaks and yeah. The humility. I know. Okay, I'll make it quick. So, what stood out to me was it's in the last one too, part of the purport. Um, and when it says, the sense of I am is ego, but when the sense of I am is applied to this false body is false ego. When the sense of self is applied to reality, that is real ego. Uh, there are some philosophers who say we should give up our ego, but we cannot give up our ego because ego means identity. And for me, that was like, wow. Like, I, I never made that correlation, like the identity with the ego. I, and I ne never even thought about 
there's a good ego. You know, like when you speak about ego, you usually think like, oh, the, the bad guy or, or something. Like, you know, like the, the angel and the devil. You always think about the devil as the ego. So I never thought about we actually have a good ego. That means identity. And that's like really important because I see the ego now that I know the difference. I see the ego now as a driving force. Because, you know, your false ego drives you to, like, be passionate and, you know, and, and be passionate about your yourself and, and your body and, and just be successful and all this stuff. It's like your driving force, your false ego. So if you recognize in, that you have a good ego, then you can have a good I identification. So it can drive you towards, goods that are, towards things that are actually good for you like your, your spirituality and things like that. You, you have to have a driving force behind that and that's the good ego. So it was a really cool discovery for me. And I want to piggyback on that when Krishna says above that, when he says when one understands that he is not his body and his spirit soul, he comes to his real ego. Mm -hmm. So there it is. So it's like that driving force. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it was really cool to kind of have that conversation in my head. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I think it's Ramanosami actually that says like to feed the right dog or something. Yeah, right dog. Is the right so, dog. so I thought about that too. So my application is to feed my good ego. So yeah. <laughs> How are you going to feed ego? By chanting, by by association, <laughs> by prasadam. Oh, definitely prasadam. <laughs> I know I got that one down. I just got to work on you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you think about it, because Krishna says uh, particular desires, then Krishna gives us a particular body, mm -hmm. and that body is the false ego. And so it takes a lot of effort to um, support the false ego. Mm -hmm. like, even if you're in, a, in an animal body, it's like all your energy goes into supporting whatever the inclinations are of that particular mm -hmm. body. If you're in a body of uh, a bird, like you're all your, you know, these birds, they fly like for many thousands of miles across the world. Yeah. <laughs> like they have to support that that version of themselves the of yeah. being a bird. So mm -hmm. similarly like people when they have this vision of of being in a particular position in society, um, particular um, like powerful character or identity, mm -hmm. God, it takes all your effort to support identity. Yeah. But it becomes simple when we just we feel like like um Prabhuji was bringing out that quote on humility that uh, not, to, not to want the satisfaction of being honored by others um, or to have prestige or distinction. You just become a humble servant. And everybody, everybody loves a servant. So you'll be loved. <laughs> just serve. And what's interesting too is, you know, for those that are looking for that, if you want to be a devotee, actually you got to prepare yourself for what Prabhupada says, a lot of dishonor from others and a lot of insults from others. So, you know, it says here when one, engage, when one is engaged in advancement of spiritual knowledge, there'll be so many insults and, and much dishonor. So this is expected because material na nature is so constituted. So I, that's interesting. So not only do we not expect that from others, but we have to expect backlash. We have to expect, you know, the worst too and be able to deal with that accordingly. And you continue know, to give, right? And continue to give, exactly. Just continue to give. My pastor once in, in church I used to attend, he said, you know, someone can come up to you and they can, they can uh, give you what they have inside. And it might, it might be a bunch of trash. And they might have a beautiful, you know, they might serve it on a platter and give you all this trash. And you just accept it. But then you give them what you have inside. So you give them you know, the, the beauty within you, and you serve that. So he gave this beautiful analogy of, like, trash being served on a golden platter, and then you serving what you have within on this beautiful golden platter back. So in the same way, devotees have to be tolerant. And, and I think it goes even beyond tolerance. I think beyond tolerance is, like, just really this, like, love, you know, this compassion for people. So I think we have to be that way. In our preaching. It's like the tree, right? They hear that example of the tree. Yeah. Yeah. And the tree is just, it's just giving shade. Yeah. Giving fruits. Even if you cut that, then yeah. it is giving you wood for fire. Giving you wood. Yeah, right. Just, <laughs> the tree is just giving. Yeah. So that's, that, that becomes the culture of our Krishna consciousness society. We just go out and we spread the holy names. 
Right. We give the holy names, we give prasada, we give books. Well, people are, sometimes they're honoring us, sometimes they're just honoring yeah. us, but we're just going out and chanting holy names. Do not, do not mistake my meekness with weakness. <laughs> Because <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to, we have to, we have to be tolerant, but if it gets if it gets out of line, then you gotta be that chatria. Just saying. Yeah, we gotta. We have to protect those that that yeah. are dear to Krishna. Yes. Anybody who's innocent. Yeah. That's why there's no chatrias in this world because they couldn't stand for all the animals. Mm. Obviously, oh, they don't have God. any chatrias. Yeah. On a crusade. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Any last final points? I'm not gonna. You know what? I have to share Mari Mohini's. I'm not gonna probably share mine because we don't have a lot of time. Um, but let me just share Mari Mohini to Jesus real quick. So her discovery is from eight to twelve. One should try his best to distribute real knowledge. So we just talked about mm. to the people, so that they may become enlightened and leave this material entanglement. Understanding. One should give others spiritual knowledge. Wow, that fit right in with our last thing we were talking about. Making them aware that we are not the body but the soul, and that we are trapped in a world of illusion or maya, where we see ourselves as separate from Krishna, that we are in fact the eternal servant of God and should practice devotional service and be in a position to go back to Godhead, free at last from the cycle of births and death. Until people become aware of all this, they are trapped by ignorance and the material concept of life, and they perpetually suffer material pains, and they transmigrate from one body unto, unto the next perpetually. Application. I shall endeavor to give people real knowledge, and so they can become free from material contamination through con- conversation, but even more effectively through, through giving people Prabhupada's books to read. I will replenish my stack of Prabhupada's books, jai, to distribute when I am in Tucson next, and hand them out at the coffee shop or in the street or when I am on the land hiking. I must make a conscious effort to take books with me when I go out. Jai. Jai. Mohini. Hare Krishna. Everybody, anybody coming to Hari Nam with us? Yeah, we're all going. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah, we're all going. Just got to change. Okay. We got to run out.